This is the Personal Profitability Podcast with Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg. And this has been a really exciting and crazy month for me, I have to be honest. I've gone through some big changes in my family. I moved. Yeah, so I've lived in Ventura, California now for about, let's say, 14, 15 months. And we moved here after I quit my job last year in Portland. I was a senior financial analyst, decided to go full-time on this whole online writing and freelancing business. And for the time so far since we moved to California, we've been living in an apartment. It was moving into a new state and a new city. We wanted to rent rather than buy right away. And after you know almost a year, we decided we did want to make Ventura home. We picked our favorite neighborhood. We knew the best school that we wanted our daughter to go to. And we started looking and we found a house. So I'm very excited to say this is the first episode I'm recording in my brand new office in my studio. So Personal Profitability HQ has moved yet again. You know, the first episode that you heard about a year and a half ago, I recorded in a condo I was renting in Portland, then moved to a house that I bought in Portland, then an apartment I was renting in Ventura, and now again back in a house in uh, Ventura. But I'm excited to be here. So what I wanted to talk about today before we jump into our awesome interview in a few minutes is that whole process of buying a house and what it's like. You know, I've had quite a few emails lately from listeners and readers who are really struggling with buying a home because of their down payment issue. So most homes, you should have at least a 20% down payment when you go in to buy. There are programs that let you buy with a lower down payment. But when you do that, you have to pay extra costs for private mortgage insurance, or PMI. So what that means is because you're putting less than 20% down, the bank or whatever lender you go with thinks you're higher risk and charges a premium to insure the bank in case you stop paying. So if you stop paying your mortgage, they are... You, know, you have more skin in the game. You know, they're protecting themselves and covering their bases. But if you put more than 20% down, you don't have to pay PMI. It's nothing to worry about at all. Um, every home I've ever bought, I paid more than 20%. This is my third home, uh, including a refinance, my fourth mortgage. And every single time I put down well over 20%. You know, a lot of people think you should just put 20% down because that's you know the, the guideline. But the more you put down, the lower your monthly payment is. So this house here, you know, housing prices are really high in Southern California. I have to say it's, it was a bit of sticker shock initially. I refer to it as the sunshine tax because it's always so nice out here. But uh, when you are, when I bought this house, if I had just put 20% down, I probably, I, I can say with almost all certainty, I would not have been approved for the mortgage for 80% of the value of this home. We put down something like 40-ish, 50% of the home's price down, and that gave us a much smaller down payment, or a much larger down payment, but a much smaller monthly payment. So not only do we have a lower payment, we were approved for the mortgage, and we're closer to being debt-free and paying it off. So all good things. 
So that is our uh, our topic of the day here. It's mortgages and, and getting that 20%. So really do your best to save at least 20%, but don't feel like that's the top. You can save and put down a heck of a lot more whenever you buy a home. So now we're going to dive into an interview. Today we had Chris Reining on the show. Now Chris um, was a really inspirational guy. He became financially independent. He met his FI number is at 35 years old and retired at 37. Now I'm just five years away from 37. I'm not quite retired yet or ready to do that, but I found the story inspirational and impressive. So after this quick uh, break from our sponsor for just a minute, we will dump into that interview with Chris. Stay tuned. You probably noticed that over the last year and a half, this podcast has never had a single ad, but I'm sorry to say it's changing right now. You'll always know it's an ad because of this funky, cool, loungy background music, and it'll only come from companies that I trust and believe in. So if you have a company that I might trust and believe in, let me know. We have opportunities for you to advertise right here and reach the listeners who also enjoy this show. So whether you're trying to get a hold of people who are into investing or personal finance or entrepreneurship or side hustles, whatever they're doing, you can reach them here at the Personal Profitability Podcast. I'll work with you to find the right ad link, the right rates, everything we need. So what are you waiting for? Send me a note, head to personalprofitability.com slash contact to get in touch. Who knows what's possible? Never know unless you try. Thanks so much and we'll talk to you soon. All right, welcome profiteers. I am here with Chris Reining. Now, Chris is a uh, is a profiteer like you. I actually um, connected with him first because he is an email subscriber, and he wrote back to a recent message, um, one of my monthly income report announcements, and he was telling me his story in the email. And he became financially independent at thirty five, quit his job, and retired at thirty seven. And that's something I think most people would be pretty envious of being able to stop working at 37. So uh, so welcome, Chris, and I'm excited to hear your story. Well, I'm really happy to be here and to to share my story. All right, so let's let's start with the beginning. So you, what was your, your career like before you figured out how you wanted to get to financial independence? That is a good question. So uh, feel free to interrupt it at any time because that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> Um, but I, you know, I followed a pretty typical life path, like a lot of folks do where, you know, I went to high school, I uh, got into some colleges, I picked one, I went there and I was actually majoring in finance and my sophomore year, I met a guy who was way into computers. Like his dorm room was just jam full of computer parts and all these different machines running Linux and stuff like that. A Zuckerberg like, uh dorm room it sounds like <laughs> yeah yeah and i was just like completely fascinated by it because it was this whole new world that i had never really been exposed to before and so i got way into computers then and i ended up switching my major to information systems which was like a blend of business and computer science and uh long story short i graduated with that degree and I was coming out of college uh, like at the tail end of the dot-com bubble, so it was kind of difficult finding a job, but I did land one here in Wisconsin doing IT security, and that was something that I had been uh, sort of targeting to, to work in, in, like the area I was trying to work in. It's a really important industry, you know, 
companies like Target and Home Depot have learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So it was very, it's very exciting too because it's like this whole cat and mouse game between the good guys and the bad guys, the hackers. So that's what I really enjoyed about it was it was always evolving and changing, and it wasn't very stagnant. Um, and so yeah, I was super passionate about it, and I was making you know okay money. And I started being able to buy like nice stuff because I never really had nice stuff before I grew up, you know, middle or lower middle class, uh, not having a lot of money. Um, and so I started buying, uh, you know, I bought a condo and I bought my dream car, which was a BMW used, of course, but <laughs> it was still my dream car. And, you know, I'd go to Whole Foods and blow, I don't know, like a couple hundred dollars buying gourmet food and all that kind of stuff. Avocado toast, maybe. Avocado toast. Yes, I don't think that was a thing then. Um, it's definitely a thing now, though. You can't, you can't, uh, you know, miss that. Uh, I think it was an Australian uh, um, billionaire who said, "Millennials, you got to stop eating avocado toast if you want to get rich." Obviously, that's right. the cure to everyone's financial woes. <laughs> right. I think it was like you can buy a, you can buy a house. Like you can't, yeah. like you're not able to buy a house because you're buying too much avocado toast. It's the same idea as like the latte factor from. Um, the Automatic Millionaire by David Bach, where he says, if you go to Starbucks every day, save that five bucks instead, invest it over time, it becomes worth a lot. But Which it's, is true. It, it's true. It's always, you know, it's, it's a tough balance between, you know, indulging and spending, you know, a few bucks here and there to be happy in the life you're enjoying now versus saving that few bucks, which seems like not much at the time for something way down the road. Right. And that was sort of the realization I had was, that it's, you know, I started getting bored in my, in my career, quite honestly, because I had sort of accomplished everything that I wanted to do at my job. And the whole nine to five sort of corporate grind was becoming like super repetitive, you know, waking up, uh, driving to work, dealing with an inbox full of problems, driving home, making dinner, watching TV, and then knowing that you have to do the same thing the next day and the next day and for like the next 30 or 40 years. Um, mm -hmm. And that was, that was when I was like, okay, like I can't do that to my future self. Like I can't, I just can't do it to my future self. Like this isn't the life I want. I want more out of life. I want to have some options. And so that's when I took a step back and realized like I, like I had a choice. Like I could work to spend all my money on stuff, including avocado toast and $5 lattes or I could start to work and save as much money as I possibly could and save to invest. And eventually, someday, I'd be able to stop working. Um, plus, like a BMW and all that stuff, I came to realize didn't really make me happy anyways. Like, it was cool, but after a while, the initial novelty wore off. And I realized, like, that was stuff that I really didn't need or made me happy. And one of the coolest That's stories I've ever heard from a big finance or a big business person was in, I went to the University of Colorado for my undergrad and we had a series of speakers who were CEOs of different com companies come in to speak to one of the classes. And I will never forget Terry Gold, his company was Gold Systems, which they were one of the early pioneers of the phone systems where you like say credit card and it sends you to credit cards or you say bank and it sends you to bank or whatever the voice recognition stuff for the phone sure and he came in and said he still drove the same 1980s toyota corolla i think it was a corolla maybe it was a honda either way it was an old affordable practical car 
He's like, why should I spend money on a car? It just gets me <laughs> from point A to point B. What else do I need? And this guy was worth more millions than anyone else in the room by a long shot. <laughs> and, and he right. probably had the worst car. I was like, you know, that's that's actually maybe an, admiral, an admirable thing. Right. So, so it is about, um, it is about making those trade-offs, right? Because every time you have money in your hand, like you're making a trade-off between spending that money now or investing it for your future. And just to like to tack on to that story, one of my favorite stories is about, uh, Jerry Jones, the, the billionaire owner of the, the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, yeah. When he was, um, he, like a couple years ago, maybe three, four years ago, he was caught on TV talking on an old school flip phone like you know like the old flip phone that nobody has anymore and shortly uh after like he was caught on tv talking on this flip phone he was uh on he was getting interviewed on on tv and the reporter asked him you know why do you have a 1.2 billion dollar stadium but you're talking on a flip phone and he said that's how you have a stadium worth 1.2 billion dollars as if like you watch your pennies and you have flip phones, you can't have it all. And I thought that was really, uh, I thought that was really an interesting take because that's you know he can afford a, anything for him. Yeah, he can afford anything for him a five hundred dollar phone, a thousand dollar phone, no big deal. Could, drop uh, in the bucket. You could buy a new iPhone every day and throw it away if you wanted to, right? Sounds it sounds but, like the same kind of mindset as Warren Buffett. You know his uh, his success. He didn't become the wealthiest person or second wealthiest person in the world by spending all of his money. He right. saved it. Right. Oh, and so, um, and so, yeah, so I came to that realization after I was spending all my money, like, okay, I don't like, I want to, uh, structure my life in a way where I can leave the workforce earlier than, you know, earlier than the normal sixties or whatever people are working to. And so I started slowly, um, cutting out the things that like really didn't make me happy. And then using that sort of extra money, that sort of money that I found to invest. And by the time uh, I reached 35, I had become financially independent. And then uh, at 37, I finally decided to quit my job and to retire early. And, you know, now I'm living the life of my dreams and uh, I'm, uh, I'm super happy. That's awesome. Yeah, so um, when you were looking at places to save, it sounds like you were looking for what I call big wins. Um, you know, we were talking about saving a few bucks here and there on Starbucks. That's saving, you know, on a BMW. You're saving at a whole different scale. Um, talking about cars and condos versus, you know, the small day-to-day -day purchases. You know, what were your big places you focused initially to find the biggest savings? Well, that's a good question because I still have my condo and I still have my BMW, but. Um, you know, like my BMW is an, is an 05, so it's already, uh, what is that? I can't do the math. 12 years old? 12 years old, <laughs> right? 12 years old, which is like unheard of these days for a car. Um, so, so I have to say my car proudly is um, 10 years old this year. So nice. we're, we're not quite, I'm not quite <laughs> as good as your 12 years. But, <laughs> um, but my my sort of dilemma, I think, was was feeling sort of overwhelmed, right? Because, yeah, the logical thing to do is to go after the big wins, right? Like, yeah, I should downsize my house or, or go back to renting a small apartment. I should sell my car. I should do all these big things. But those things are so overwhelming 
um, that you just you just like freeze up and get paralyzed and don't do anything. And so I think I learned that, um, you know, back to your point about the automatic millionaire is like when you start out with the small stuff like that daily $5 latte or some other small thing, lunch every day. Your daily Chipotle. <laughs> yeah, your daily Chipotle, which I just had the other day, which is delicious. I haven't had um, one since last week. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Um, if you start going after these small things and making these small sort of manageable changes, that really improves your ability to change the big things. So I think it's like getting that snowball going where you're just going after something small every day and realizing that you can live without it. You can actually live without that um, latte or you can make coffee at home or whatever. Just going after a small win where you're saving a little bit of money, like that will actually take you down the path where you can save, you can go after the big stuff. Um, like uh, I cut out, um, I was spending $1,000 a month to fly airplanes as a hobby, which sounds kind of ridiculous, but that was my I hobby. Have my, I got my pilot's license last year. So I was oh, like, we're a kindred spirits, except I've never <laughs> had a BMW. I have a Corolla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was like, okay, I like, I can either spend a thousand dollars a month flying airplanes or like I can use that money to save and invest and retire early. So that's, again, this, that's a trade-off you're making, right? That's why I haven't flown and, since my birthday in February. Because, I mean, I've flown, but the other you know commercial pilots were flying, not me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, you know, those those small planes, uh, they cost, uh, depending where you live and what you have access to, between 100, 150 hours to or dollars per hour to run. Right. And that's the, uh, the two and four seaters. So that adds right. up quick when you're... And you want to, that's why they call it the hundred dollar burger. You know, if you mm-hmm. fly to a, a far, a far away airport for a burger and come back. <laughs> right. And it's such a, I mean, it's a great hobby. It's exciting. It was, uh, you know, it was challenging too, just learning how to fly and, and keeping up with all the, everything that you need to know to, to fly an airplane. But, but again, it was like a, a trade off that I, I wasn't willing to make, right? Like I, I would rather, uh, have the option of retiring early or at least taking some sort of mini retirement than spend that money every month, um, on, on a hobby. So, so it was basically going through that process of cutting out the small things and working my way up to cutting out the big things, but also, um, finding that balance too. Right. So, uh, like I like to travel. So like my travel budget, I didn't really slash at all. Like I have no problem spending thousands of dollars to travel because that's something that makes me really happy to do. Right. So I know investing was a big part of this. You know, once you stopped spending all these different dollars here and there, what did you do with them? Did you, you know, put them in a bank account? I'm guessing you did a little better than a uh, you know regular savings account that pays 0.1% today. So how did you uh, invest all those dollars you started saving? Sure. So I was always investing uh, in my company-sponsored 401k account. So ever since I was mm, started working at 22, I was investing in in that account. Um, not much at first, because I couldn't afford to invest very much. Actually, it was. I looked back at my old tax returns, and I figured out it was $66 a month. So you don't have to start with huge amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I started freeing up more money, that's when I started investing uh, in a what's called a taxable account. So that's like outside of a 401k account or 
uh, an IRA account. So it's just like a regular brokerage account at any of the big stockbrokers, Schwab or Vanguard or Fidelity or Scott Trade, so on. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So, so yeah, I opened one of those accounts and I had been investing in, uh, in index funds in my 401k account. So that's where I sort of started in my taxable account before I started investing a little bit in uh, individual stocks because I got into into that and because I, I found that area fascinating as well. So, I mean, that's really what it was. It was it was really pulling on that lever of reducing my spending so I could free up money to put into this investment account. Awesome. So if someone else wants to follow in your footsteps and retire early, you know, whether they're 22 or, you know, 40s and 50s, just want to try to get out of the grind every day like you were describing earlier, what is your biggest and best advice for them? It, my biggest and best advice is that you have to, I think, really want it, right? Like you have to um, like internalize the fact that you want to retire early because it's so easy to... Um, to like spend all your money. I mean, I think I was reading a statistic the other day that the majority of Americans can't come up with $400 for an emergency. Right. And so like some people, you know, are really hard up, uh, uh, for money. Like I, I, I get that and they're living paycheck to paycheck, but a lot of people I'm finding, um, the more money they make, the more money they spend. And so like, it's this constant battle of trying to figure out where, you sort of fall um, on that spending versus saving spectrum. And it's easy. It's uh, easy to fall victim to lifestyle inflation as your income grows, you know, which for, you know, especially people earlier in their careers, it's, it's probably going to be a lot faster and it slows down over time that you know, percent growth. Um, mm-hmm. So I know, you know, going 22, you start a job, maybe making forty, fifty thousand $50,000 a year, five, 10 years later, you could be making significantly more than that. Um, but keeping, you already used to living on 40 or $50,000 a year. So keeping your lifestyle like that was your income or even better, like a college kid who makes almost no money, the cheaper mm-hmm. you can live every month, the more money you'll have at the end of that month. That's a, uh, an important thing for people to understand and grasp as they're trying to, you know, level up their finances. Right. I mean, it really comes down to, uh, spending less than you earn and investing the difference. So that's probably nine words. Uh, and that's like, if you live your life by those nine words, you'll do well in, in the long term. And to your point, like there's a lot of, um, uh, professional athletes where I think it was Latrell Sprewell back, back in the day. Now I'm dating myself who turned down, you know, $15 million a year uh, to play a professional basketball for, I think it was the Golden State Warriors, or maybe it was the Minnesota Timberwolves. Either way, he turned down uh, this huge contract because he was like, I have to, you know, I have to feed my family. And, you know, what he's saying is like, he adjusted to this certain lifestyle, and now all of a sudden, you know, $15 million isn't enough to feed his family. And that's that's a perfect example of lifestyle inflation. Like, it will go on and on and on unless you're, become really conscious about it and make uh, an effort to spend less than you earn and invest the difference. I just read a similar story just uh, in the last few weeks. I saw Johnny Depp is having some serious financial trouble, which you'd think like one of the greatest pirates ever known would be able to <laughs> afford his lifestyle, but it's just gotten too lavish um, mm-hmm. with his homes around the world and 
it, even even people making many millions can screw up you know mc hammer was one we could make a it's easier to make a list of celebrities <laughs> who have gone bankrupt than uh, than it should be right. so yeah so thank you so much for sharing this story this is great advice uh, if someone wants to find you connect with you learn more about you and your story and what you're doing where should they go they can go to my website which is chrisreining.com and that's r e i n i n g Dot com, uh, where I write about, I write articles two or three times a month about uh, saving and investing and earning more and financial independence or financial freedom. And uh, yeah, you can also send me an email. I have a contact form on my website. You can send me an email. I'd be happy to answer any questions. And uh, I also have a, a free uh, guide to starting having your money work for you and a little spreadsheet that you can use to sort of track your progress if you go to chrisrunning.com slash podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for taking the time to chat with us today, everyone. Make sure to head to chrisrunning.com to learn more. I'm sure you know we, we got some great uh, nuggets of knowledge so far, and I'm sure there's plenty more waiting for you there. So thank you again, Chris, for joining us. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Well, that does it for this week's show. Thanks, everyone, for joining in. As always, you know, I don't do anything to promote this show beyond what I do here with all of you. So please, if you enjoyed it, if you found it useful, the best thing you can do to pay me back is just share it with a friend. It would mean the world to me, and it costs you just a few seconds. And who knows, you might even help a friend find their way to personal profitability that was having trouble with their finances. So, you know, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, please do drop in a rating if you have a chance. And otherwise, thanks for hanging around till the end. Until next time, stay profitable. <laughs>